Welcome back to another episode of Oh, the Good Old Days, your time travel ticket to history's dirty little secret. This is Kinsey, and I'm as old as the Reagan administration. And this is Ellie, and I'm as old as the Clinton administration. Hey, listeners. Wow, it's been 10 episodes. And if our show is your cup of tea or your mega-sized coffee, we'd be happier than a squirrel with a nut stash if you dropped us a review. Your thoughts are more valuable to us than a dog's favorite chew toy is to him. Leave a review and make our day. It's like giving us a pony for our birthday. Well, almost as awesome. Do I sense an animal theme here? Just a tad. You know, I just, I just love animals so much. I do too, most of the time. Our neighborhood squirrels are not my, I'm not their biggest fan. <laughs> what are they doing to you? Everything. They, they got into the bin. We keep our dog waste in and then tore the bags open and spread it all over the yard. They're fertilizing your yard. They're being malicious. It was a hate crime. Ah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think squirrels are cute and adorable. Not the ones in my neighborhood. They're supercharged. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably something in the lawn based on what you're fertilizing. I, I, I blame the old military base. There's probably steroids in the water or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds fair. All right, Allie. I'm going to tell you our Latin word of the day. Animalia presidentis. That means presidential pets. Also, I want to give you a heads up. There's going to be a lot more animal puns, more than you ever thought possible. So I'm warning you. <laughs> I'm very excited. I love puns. Also, technically, that was two Latin words of the day. Uh, well, so everyone, you get twice as many. <laughs> lucky you. It's, it's episode 10. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a special treat. <laughs> all right, eager beavers. I've been busy as a bee having a whale of a time researching all of this. And let me tell you stories straight from the horse's mouth. Well, back in the good old days. Taking a pause from the wild world of politics, this episode is all about a topic that unites us, our love for animals. No matter where you fall on the political spectrum or which issues ruffle your feathers, there's one thing we can all positively agree on. Politicians might be poking the grizzly bear, but pets, they're just possum. They are. All right, hear me out. 2020 was bonkers, politically speaking. About 66.7% of eligible voters cast their ballots, but their preferences were divided. Yet, guess who found common ground? This is where you guess. The Harambe voters. <laughs> the Glutinati. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> well, two out of every three American households own at least one pet. So forget voting for the lesser of two evils. When you've got pets, you're always on the winning side. Americans are not alone in their love for their pets. 57% of people in 22 surveyed countries said they own a pet. Argentina was a clear winner with 82% of those surveyed saying they own a pet. Never wow. been, but it's high on my list now. Yeah, I feel like I've heard things about dogs in Argentina. So maybe they're just dog lovers. They love all animals. Yeah, that's awesome. Today's another episode where we're just going to hop all over the historical timeline. So we're not going to stick to the usual format. But I got a joke for you, Ellie. You ready? Yes. Satan, Macaroni, and Pete walk into a bar. The bartender looks up and says, is this some kind of animal joke? Satan replies, no, we're just here for bar nuts, a howling good time, and a little pony play. <laughs> All right, so let's start with Satan, since he's the very first to run across the White House lawn. Well, maybe the second. I'm not sure who came first, Satan or Juno. But what I do know is that President John Adams, the second president, but the first to live in the White House, had many pets, among them two dogs, Satan and Juno. It's disappointing, but I couldn't find out why he named his dog Satan. <laughs> Especially in a time period when I feel like that would have been more controversial than now. Right? Like, that was kind of edgy, right? <laughs> <laughs> they were all about, you know, being the upright Christian men who went to church every Sunday, and yet here he yeah. is, Satan in his house. Maybe it was Satan. Some pets can be. 
The story behind Satan's name is, alas, lost to history. But what we do know is that his wife, Abigail, loved those dogs, especially Juno. So maybe your theory about Satan is true? Hmm. (laughs) She wrote many letters, one of which says, If you love me, you must love my dog. Aw. Right? So sweet. Same. (laughs) Did you know that George Washington, the first president, was a huge dog lover too? Hmm. He owned over 50 dogs in his lifetime. Being an avid hunter, (laughs) he kept many hounds for that particular reason. While most of his hounds came from Philadelphia because he did not live in the White House, uh, I don't think it was built by then, two of his hounds were known for their, quote, slow pace, and those two were imported from England. Imagine all of the forefathers sitting in a dark room, quietly planning the revolution. Someone just mumbles about taxes and Washington starts to yell, they gave me slow hounds. But Hamilton's like, no, 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 cool it, bro. Someone else yells, freedom from tyranny. And Washington says, and no slow dogs. But Hamilton's like, stop it, Georgie. (laughs) Fine, I'm sure it didn't quite happen that way, but my mind is a weird and whimsical place. (laughs) There was some some pettiness involved. I, I, I buy the theory. I like it. Uh, other dogs that George have included Madame Moose. Madame Moose was a dog. Not a moose. <laughs> Sweet Lips, Venus, True Love, Taster, Drunkard, Tipsy, and Vulcan. Okay, some of these names kind of sound like George Washington, you know, love, loved his dogs. Oh, oh. Picking up what I'm putting. <laughs> or loved drinking. Sweet Lips? <laughs> Different times, it's fine, I guess. You, you stopped at Sweet Lips, but ignored Drunkard and Tipsy. Well, Drunkard, I can get. You've never met a dog where you're like, if dogs drank, that dog would be an alcoholic. <laughs> you need to see more dogs. <laughs> I do. I do. I think our, uh, our our listeners need to send us pictures of their dogs, especially if they look yes. like a drunkard. <laughs> Definitely. It, t- send us your drunk dogs. <laughs> Not literally, don't give them alcohol. They can't process that. <laughs> you know... History acknowledges George Washington as a significant figure. It's essential to note that he had some less admirable aspects that I'm not going to get into. History Mm -hmm. is complex, and the founding fathers of the U.S. were no exception. But for this episode, I want to keep things lighthearted. I'm not going to dwell on the darker aspects of the presidents. I admit they were there. For now, we're just going to stick to the brighter side, which is talking all about their pets. Let's keep it light. Focus on their favorite furry and feathered friends. No more sad talk. It's the second to last episode of the year. Wow. Already. I know. It's 2024. (laughs) Let's meet Paul or Polly the parrot. Unlike Drunkard or Satan, Andrew Jackson didn't get too creative with the naming. He bought Paul or Polly. I'll just, I, I, I think I called him Polly from now on. He bought them as a gift for his wife, Rachel, in 1827. When she passed away a year and a half later, Jackson inquired about Polly's well-being in letters to her family and just said, I I want the bird back. So he took the bird. At Jackson's funeral in 1845, 3,000 people gathered. That's a massive crowd back then, considering American Airlines hadn't even opened their DC route by then. Really? By 1845? No, shocking. (laughs) Delta was almost there, but not yet. (laughs) Polly, a gray African parrot, was quite the polyglot. She was fluent in both English and Spanish, at least in foul language. (laughs) Foul language? (laughs) The third volume of Andrew Jackson in Early Tennessee History, written in er, in 1920, mentions Polly's foul-mouthed tendencies. Reverend W. Normand said that Polly's profanities were, quote, loud and long, and caused a stir before the sermon, requiring the removal of the parrot from the funeral. Hmm. The reverend went on to say that the parrot, again, another literal quote, let loose perfect gusts of cuss words, and that people were horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. Well, the bird wasn't reverent. (laughs) Should have known better. I spent like four hours trying to find out what it was that Polly said that just (laughs) got her or him. We don't know the gender of Polly and got them kicked out of the funeral, but I couldn't find it. It's lost history. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I have to, I have to ask if you had a parrot, what one phrase would you insist on teaching it? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I teach mine to say, help me. I used to be a man. They turned me into a bird. Oh my God. <laughs> I just want to confuse everyone. That would be confusing. I wanted to, you know, have somebody tell me stop it every time I go to the kitchen for a snack. Just have the bird say stop it. <laughs> you can teach your bird to bully you. <laughs> you don't need a snack. Stop it. <laughs> I'm being lazy. Stop it. I'm going to watch TV. Stop it. It'll make me a better person. <laughs> you know, given Jackson's reputation and the parrot's ability to mimic, it's really not that surprising that his parrots got full of foul vocabulary here. Yeah. A foul foul, if you will. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on. Friends often said that Lincoln had an extraordinary kindness of heart, especially towards animals, particularly cats. Monsell B. Field says Lincoln was, quote, fond of dumb animals, especially cats. (laughs) Anyone who owns a cat... Well, I guess it depends on the cat. Never mind. I have uh, a cat who is most definitely not dumb. She will wake me to show me where she puked so that I can clean it up. (laughs) And if one of the other cats puked, she will also wake me to let me know where it is and just keep poking me until I get there. I think she's relatively smart. Yeah. Lincoln received a thoughtful gift of two kittens from Secretary of State William Seward and named them Tabby and Dixie. Dixie. Interesting. Interesting he, choice. <laughs> I wonder when, when he picked that name. And that's definitely not the weirdest named cat in the White House, but you'll find out later. <laughs> it's just due to the time and everything that happened during his presidency. Dixie was a strong choice for a name. <laughs> Someone else had, I I didn't talk about them specifically, but they had ponies named Mason and Dixon. (laughs) We weren't there. (laughs) No, no, different times. Lincoln loved his cats so much that during a formal dinner at the White House, he once fed Tabby from the table. And when his wife attempted to reprimand him, he quipped, if a gold fork was good enough for James Buchanan, it's good enough for Tabby. I'm I'm not sure what that says about Buchanan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who's being insulted here, the cat or the man? I I honestly couldn't tell you anything about Buchanan. (laughs) I don't think I paid attention in class when they were covering Buchanan. What did he do? Do you know? Fuck if I know. That's too. I know the name. That's that's the extent of my knowledge. (laughs) A friend recalled how Lincoln would engage in one-sided half-hour conversations with his feline companions. Anyone who owns a pet does this. (laughs) There was no mention of what the conversation contained, but I want you to imagine the big hulking frame of Lincoln with a kitten in his arm. Oh, Dixie, those southern states are testing my patience. Then he just starts nodding. Yes, 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 of course. Whenever she meows back. (laughs) There's a scene in Anchorman that's a lot like this. Lincoln even claimed that Dixie was smarter than his entire cabinet and better yet, didn't talk back. I imagine she was smarter than some cabinets. (laughs) Even the present ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Admiral David Porter once observed the president, quote, tenderly caressing three stray kittens. It well illustrated the kindness of the man's disposition and showed the childlike simplicity, which was mingled with the grandeur of his nature. Then Porter said that Lincoln stroked the cat's fur and quietly told them, Kitties, thank God you are cats and can't understand this terrible strife that's going on. Oh. <laughs> Given what we know about Lincoln, it's just <laughs> very comical. I think it I think it tracks. It speaks well. I mean, Lincoln certainly, as you said, they they all of these men certainly had their, their flaws, but it speaks well to someone who likes cats. Yeah. And he was one of the, like, the better presidents of our time, of our... He, I mean, he, he certainly did very important things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's shift gears from the usual animals to something a bit unconventional. William Howard Taft made major contributions to the U.S. Just, justice system and was, and still is, 
the only president who ever served as chief justice of the Supreme Court. Although he accomplished much, he's often remembered for two things, his cow and his weight. It's unfortunate. (laughs) His first cow had the greatest name ever. Mooly Wooly. (laughs) That is a fantastic name. I mean, I don't know if he said it that way, but I imagine he did. But it's Mooly Wooly. If he didn't, he... It's either that or Mooly Wooly. I like Mooly Wooly better. I mean, cows moo, so it just made sense. Moo. Yeah, it makes way more sense. (laughs) Sadly, there aren't any anecdotes about her. But his second cow, she was a gift named Pauline Wayne from Kenosha, Wisconsin. There is something very special about pets that have human names. To me, Pauline Wayne from Kenosha, Wisconsin sounds like a caller on a late night radio show. (laughs) Absolutely. That is an astute observation. (laughs) All right, well... She made the train, jersey, train journey to D.C. and apparently yielded anywhere from 8 to 16 gallons per day. Holy shit. Uh, you, grew, you grew up like in the middle of nowhere with I, We did not have cows, but my best friend growing up, once we moved to New York, was on a dairy farm. And, and so we worked with cows and stuff. Yeah. Right. So you exclaimed, holy shit. How much? That's a lot. I, I no, I've never really measured a cow. <laughs> Their out, their their yield, their out, their output. <laughs> I I can't give you an exact number. I, I'm and it probably depends on what things are being given to the cow. But I know with within an organic farm, I think eight to sixteen gallons would be sixteen gallons is an insane amount. I think. Yeah, that sounds insane. Yeah. Well, the USDA because I wanted to know how <laughs> much milk can a cow. I, I, I don't know. Is the word here output? Yield? Throughput? I think that works. We'll go yield. Yeah. Well, the USDA says the average American cow yields a little over 23,000 pounds per year, which is, of course, I did the math. About 7.5 gallons per day, which is less than Pauline. But I'm not sure why the USDA measures cow milk by the pound. Yeah. Also, I mean, I guess that's not that much less than than Pauline Wayne. <laughs> but this is also in 2020, and Pauline Wayne was definitely not in 2020. She was in the early 1900s. Yeah, I don't know if cows output more than they used to. I, they probably give them stuff to make them more milky. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) Well, this isn't the end of my Pauline Wayne story. She went missing in 1911 on her way to a dairy show, causing, quote, consternation in the White House. (laughs) One article titled, Pauline Wayne is Lost, Household Dismayed, and President Will Miss Milk. Oh. (laughs) The, The article posed the question... What would the president discuss with his cabinet now that the, quote, aristocratic cow that supplied him with the purest milk is lost? Lost or stolen? Well, I have the answer. She was covered so much in the newspapers of the time that it was very easy to find the answers. Unlike mooly wooly. Well, (laughs) thankfully, Pauline was found just before she was sent to the slaughterhouse. The train car she was riding in mistakenly was attached to the train heading to the slaughterhouse. When Taft's presidency ended, newspapers wrote an ode to Pauline. I'm not going to read the entire poem because it's over like 30 lines, but I'm going to quote one part. You've earned all your renown, Pauline Wayne. You've never fallen down, Pauline Wayne. With your milk, you have kept our Bill Taft fat. There's no doubt of that, Pauline Wayne. <laughs> so flattering. <laughs> well, making matters worse, a 1919 newspaper article, six years after Taft left the White House, mentioned his bathtub was as large as a swimming pool for the average person. <laughs> in, in his defense, I mean, he was a large man, but 
a large man in 1919 was a little different than a large man today. He was 340 pounds. That's like an average large man today. <laughs> I don't, I, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not here to fat shame. I think I just find it comical that the newspapers were. Yeah. <laughs> six years after. But you know what? I don't think we fat shame anymore, right? We don't have people in respectable offices calling others Miss Piggy or fat or a slop. Oh, oh wait, never mind. Back to my joke and the title of this episode, Satan, Pete, and Macaroni. We've talked about Satan, so let's talk about Pete next. So Pete's a squirrel. (laughs) And surprisingly, (laughs) squirrels were quite popular pets in the good old days. There's an actual portrait from 1765 by John Singleton Copley showing a boy with a gold leash around his squirrel. The link is uh, in the notes for anybody who wants to see. Just click on the link and you can go there. All right, and get this. Benjamin Franklin himself wrote an ode to a squirrel in his autobiography. It's on page 219 if you really want to read the whole thing. But in se- surprise. <laughs> in 1772, before the U.S. even became a country, Benny here wrote about Mungo, M-U-N-G-O, a remarkably educated squirrel who lived a life free from the perils of eagles, guns, or careless hunters. Living the dream. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but again, you can go read it if you need. Mungo wasn't even Franklin's squirrel. He belonged to a lady named Georgina Shipley. But I digress. Franklin wasn't a president, so I'm going to go back to the White House. Warren, <laughs> Warren Harding had quite the assortment of pets. While Laddie Boy took the spotlight, there was also Pete the Squirrel in the mix. Now, this squirrel had a charming habit. He loved nibbling treats right out of people's hands. And how do we know this? Because there's photographic evidence of this adorable little guy enjoying a snack from someone's palm. But wait, there's another picture of this man, not so cute, and it shows Pete and some random guy sharing a nut. Funny, not hygienic. The guy's chomping down on one end while the squirrel's munching on the other. Pete, regardless of how cute he is, really shouldn't be munching where people do. That's gross. (laughs) There's, like I said, photographic proof. In case you're skeptical that a president kept a squirrel as a pet, just check out the Daily Oklahoman from October 1922 in an article titled Harding squirrel missed by cabinet. They mentioned the squirrel, although they called him Pig, not Pete. They talked about how Pig slash Pete was the highlight and a regular attendee at the cabinet meetings. He had a pension. (laughs) For Russia. 1922, I don't know if it was Russia. No, we'll go with Russia. Okay. I I, I think it was the Russian. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the Soviet Union by then? It could be. No, it was not. (laughs) Well, he apparently had a penchant for climbing into the trouser legs of cabinet members to hunt for peanuts. His absence at one meeting even got a two-paragraph mention in a newspaper. Later, Pete gave birth to a litter of baby squirrels, so I guess it's Petra? Pete can be gender neutral if you're a squirrel. In 1922, I don't think gender neutral was a thing. Oh, it's always been a thing. Also, I have to, I have to contradict myself because I was thinking it was the late 20s, but Soviet Union actually started December of 1922. Oh, well, look at that. He definitely yeah. was a spy. He totally was. <laughs> <laughs> well, while looking for stories of Pete and his antics, I stumbled upon a curious headline from the 1923 Oakland Post Inquirer. Squirrels qualify for postal service. (laughs) In what? Hmm, I have questions. (laughs) Well, I'm going to leave the rest to your imagination. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Are they working as postal workers or are they receiving mail? (laughs) Stopping by the tree to like slide a tiny envelope in? No, they're the ones who are like 
moving mail. This one goes to New York. This one goes to Vermont. Makes sense. I got tiny hands. Good for sorting. (laughs) Well, you'll never know the answer. You just have to think about it forever and ever now. (laughs) Well, moving on to Dwight Eisenhower. He had a Weimariner named Heidi. One newspaper dedicated an entire column to her in 1958. Apparently, Ike would mutter nonsensical things to Heidi. I mean, Ike is known to be a tough military man, but imagine him in his full military regalia speaking baby talk to Heidi. (laughs) Yeah, you can't trust a man who doesn't speak in baby talk to animals. Right. I think this is a good sign for Ike. (laughs) I know he didn't walk around the White House in full military clothing, but it's my mind and I'll imagine it if I want to. It maybe happened at least once, right? Probably. Yeah, we'll go with once. Remember, I'm Reagan old. I'm not Eisenhower old. (laughs) You can be Eisenhower old if you really, really try. You know, when I get out of bed in the morning, I feel that old. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Well, everyone loved Heidi. And White House employees agreed that Heidi had none of the ostentatious arrogance that Fala, FDR's dog, had. The newspaper even adds that the rumors of Heidi eating two poached eggs and bacon every day for breakfast are false. She actually eats canine cereal and kennel food mixed with half a pound of hamburger meat. Sounds more appropriate for a dog. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that an article in the newspaper was just dedicated to her rumors of her breakfast. (laughs) Important facts. I mean, it was on page 36, but but still... (laughs) Then I just went down a rabbit hole. There was another article on page one this time, mind you, page one of the Terre Haute Star in 1958, where it talks about Heidi finally sitting for her portrait and Mrs. Eisenhower was embarrassed because Heidi didn't sit right away. Other headlines on page one? Kentucky Rivers sent on rampage. White House firm on trade measure. Danish diplomat held for spying. And Eisenhower's pet dog, Heidi, sits for portrait. See, these were the days where they knew what was important news. (sighs) Well, now, I really couldn't verify this, but one source alleged that Heidi had a wee bit of an accident in the diplomatic reception room. And by accident, I mean $20,000 rug, 167,000 in 2023 money. Probably the least bad thing that's happened in that house. Moving on to more modern (laughs) presidents. We talked about Satan, Pete, and many others, but now we're going to get to macaroni. Lyndon Johnson gifted Caroline Kennedy, JFK's daughter, a pony. Caroline Kennedy went to town riding on a pony. I don't know if she put a feather in his hat, but she called him macaroni. (laughs) Macaroni became quite the dignitary himself, often paraded in front of important guests. Once, during an important diplomatic visit, Macaroni nuzzled Empress Farah of Iran, not because he loved her, but because she carried daffodils and, well, Macaroni had a thing for flowers. Jackie Kennedy warned the Empress that Macaroni might eat you, your majesty, but he just ended up eating the daffodils. (laughs) Now, the Empress had tried to give the daffodils to two-year-old John Jr., but he firmly stated no and walked away. (laughs) so what i think happened here is to prevent any diplomatic incidents between the u.s and iran macaroni took one for the team and munched the flowers who knew pets could play such a crucial role in international relations Hmm. and just as an fyi the newspaper where i got the daffodil story titled the article caroline's pony finds iranian queen very tasty visitor well At least he's not called Sweet Lips. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's better than, is that that considered clickbait? (laughs) It sounds very clickbaity. It's the old, (laughs) I could, I don't know. (laughs) I got another random, totally random fact for you. Sweet Caroline. You're supposed to, there you go. (laughs) I'm not that white. (laughs) (laughs) That very, very one 
Neil Diamond was actually inspired to write this song after seeing a picture of Caroline with macaroni on the cover of Life magazine. Really? After seeing the innocence that was captured in that image, it just moved him to write what became the most important song of his career. He didn't tell anybody this until Caroline's 50th birthday when he finally met her and performed that song live. What if he just made it up? He's like, this is going to be a good story. And I got invited to her birthday, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her that. Make, make her day. <laughs> I mean, only you would take the most like, like, oh, fact. And you're like, he lied. <laughs> How can I twist this? No, it is a very sweet story. We'll never know because it's just his word. <laughs> And now we have to doubt him forever and ever. (laughs) In her memoir, Betty Ford shared a funny story about President Gerald Ford being roused at 3 a.m. by his dog in need of a late night bathroom break. Picture this, and this isn't from my mind. This is an actual, you know, from her story. There's Ford in a bathrobe and slippers, escorting a very pregnant dog onto the White House lawn. When Liberty finished her business. Ford tried to get back, but the elevators were off. So he trudged up the stairs only to find the doors locked. (laughs) So they trekked back down and just kept wandering until the the Secret Service found them. (laughs) What would have been a perfect time to assassinate him? (laughs) I was going to say, you'd think the Secret Service would have been a little bit more on top of things. I guess in the 70s, it was before they didn't have the kind of cameras they... Now they probably put a tracker in the president or something. Something. (laughs) It was in the vaccine. Oh, it all comes together. Yeah. The tracker's in all of us. It is. The glutenati. The glutenati are watching. Well, not me or you, because we don't eat gluten, so we're safe. This is, oh yeah, the the tracker can only be activated by pasta. Exactly, exactly. Right. All right. Moving on to much, much more modern presidents. George H.W. Bush. He led a very active life. He's probably one of the more athletic presidents. He attributed his longevity to his athleticism. He lived like 94 years. He engaged in many sports like football, baseball, and others. He even played doubles with Anna Kornikova. Even into his 80s, he was still fishing and skydiving. There's a quirky tale from his VP days under Reagan when he played tennis vigorously enough to fall and bump his head. As someone who actively participates in contact sports like ice hockey, I didn't know tennis could be so intense. Oh, yeah. I, I need to check they, this out. They move like... I can, I can easily see someone tripping and bumping their head with an intensity. But would, wouldn't that make you clumsy? No. I mean, yes, but no more so than falling or getting into an accident playing hockey would make you clumsy. It's just being human. It happens. But usually when outside of the clumsiness, someone would have to hit you to fall or you'd have to hit a rut in the ice. I, I, don't I think know. you need to watch and you need to watch tennis <laughs> and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I have to because now I'm like expecting contact sports, uh, tennis to be a contact sport. <laughs> it's like, well, think about cyclists. Cyclists can get into accidents and they're not necessarily a contact sport. It should be. I think sports would be a lot more. That would make it way more fun. Dude, imagine if like you had defense and offense in golf. (laughs) I honestly think that's how it should be because golf is really boring. (laughs) So what they need to do is have one sniper on the golf course. (laughs) What is he sniping with? Like golf balls? (laughs) I was thinking like a rifle, but that works. Well, I don't want people to die during sports. (laughs) Bring back sports. Bring back. (laughs) Or it could be a t-shirt gun and they have to, you know, once they get hit with a t-shirt, they have to wear it before they move on to the next. So if you're really bad at golf, you leave with like 15 t-shirts on. (laughs) (laughs) The whole point of the sport themes talk is just to, to really just say Bush valued fitness. So let me tell you about a memo he once wrote to his White House staff about a certain someone gaining weight. The memo is titled, My Dog Ranger. The memo warns, either Ranger loses weight or we enter him into the Houston fat stock show as prime Hereford. (laughs) 
Essentially, he's joking that if Ranger doesn't lose weight, he might end up being showcased at a livestock event as a particularly well-fed and robust Hereford, like a type of cattle. <laughs> he further instructs his staff to take a formal pledge agreeing not to feed Ranger. He restricted Ranger's access and said that he cannot wander without an escort. And then he encouraged people to rat on anyone seen feeding Ranger. It's just the most American thing, obese pets. <laughs> there's no mention if there's an official reporting mechanism, though, for, for people to rat on. In addition to his official ID, Ranger had to wear a do not feed me badge. <laughs> Finally, George Sr. ended the memo by promising to report on Ranger's fight against obesity because, and this is a literal quote, he looks like a blimp. A nice, friendly, appealing blimp, but a blimp. Do we have pictures of him? Not as a blimp. (laughs) Oh, I'm just saying, you know, this was the era where people were super obsessed with health and sometimes to a point of unhealthiness, like uh, idolizing unhealthy thinness. So I wonder if maybe he was just a little chonky and they're calling him obese. So I could have seen a picture and he just looked chonky. I just didn't see anything blimp-sized. Oh, he was being fat shamed for no reason. He was just a little chonky. He was just saving up for winter. (laughs) For those who are not looking at the pictures, um, Ranger was an English Springer Spaniel. But there is a picture in glorious colors of the 1990 of First Lady Barbara Bush, Ranger, and Ranger's mom, Millie, in matching sweatsuits. Please tell me there's teal. It's a shade of blue. It's not as bright as teal. It's it's more like steel blue. (laughs) Okay, that works. That works. It was First Lady Barbara Bush. She had to be elegant. Teal is not elegant. (laughs) Oh, there's so many other... Fascinating presidential pets, so many that covering them all is just impossible. Take Calvin Coolidge, for example. He had a whopping 20 animals under his care. Among them, Rebecca and Reuben raccoons. And get this, Rebecca rocked a bedazzled collar. Of of course, if one owns a raccoon, one needs to bedazzle said raccoon. And there's a picture of Rebecca the raccoon in her bedazzled collar. I hope there's a lot, a lot of diamonds. Well, I didn't get too deep into it because there's just so many. I'm going to save them for another episode. But uh, Teddy Roosevelt is another one that just had over 50 animals, including the very unique Josiah the Badger. Of all the presidents, I would guess that Teddy Roosevelt would be the one to have a bunch of weird animals. He, he must have owned a bear at some point, right? <laughs> Well, I know that his daughter owned a snake named Emily Spinach. <laughs> Interesting name. Should have been Emily Noodle. Because <laughs> they're little noodles. <laughs> well, like I said, Calvin Coolidge and Teddy just had so many insane animals. And their collection is just so large that it just deserves its own episode. So I didn't cover any of them today. We're definitely going to come back to Rebecca Raccoon. <laughs> Oh, totally. I I am going to end this with some standout mentions from the Presidential Pet Museum that caught my eye. Again, I didn't... Is this an actual physical museum? Yes, it is. All right, we got to go there. (laughs) Presidents had a dog named Lucky, and she cut Lucky's hair and kept the hair and then drew a portrait of Lucky in his own hair. Yeah, that's in a museum. People have done weirder things. At least it wasn't drawn with blood or something. Yeah. (laughs) It is now online. So you can go to presidentialpetmuseum.com. Well, so I didn't dig too deep into these names. So this is an honorable mentions list. Thomas Jefferson had a mockingbird named Dick. William Henry Harrison kept the cow named Sookie. Sookie. Yeah, like True Blood, one of my favorite shows. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. Love that show. I would not have guessed that. Really? My whole view of you just completely changed. <laughs> well, now I need to watch True Blood more so I can judge appropriately. 
I have a thing for Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and uh, her brother. Um, I forgot his name. The Oscar- are, is it, are they the Skarsgårds? Well, no, I met the brother, the guy who played Suki's brother. Oh, fuck me. I haven't, I haven't watched it that much. Oh, he, he's hot. <laughs> Back to animals. <laughs> John Tyler had a canary imaginatively named Johnny Ty. I mentioned these two ponies before, but Millard Fillmore hung out with Mason and Dixon. Rutherford Hayes liked to caress Miss Pussy, his Siamese cat. All right, you didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> I didn't have to say anything the way I did, but I chose. <laughs> it was fully intentional. <laughs> Benjamin Harrison had a unique pair of possums named Reciprocity and Protection. Okay, that's fucking <laughs> That like that sounds like something that an old like rock bassist would do like yeah these are my possums reciprocity and protection i mean wearing like leather studded collars little spikes on them (laughs) benjamin harrison could have been a rocker can you name one thing he did (laughs) can you (laughs) no (laughs) okay like am i missing out on (laughs) then there's lyndon b johnson who had beagles named him and her were they a, a male and a female dog? <laughs> yes, the male was named him and the female was named her. In his defense, at one point in my childhood, we did have a Chow Chow whose name was Chow Chow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last honorable mention that I have is Jimmy Carter's daughter had a Siamese cat named Misty Malarkey Ying Yang. It's a solid name for a Siamese cat. Yeah, but Misty later turned out to be male, not female. Yeah, I don't think pets mind when they get misgendered. (laughs) They don't know any better. It's interesting to hear, I guess, historically, just knowing things about how humans are with pets. Like, we've always loved pets and reading, you know, the ancient Chinese manuscripts where they write poems to their cats. And it's just kind of fun seeing that a lot of things change. But we still talk in like city voice to our putty cats. Yes, we do. <laughs> My cat's name is Birdie. I call him Boydy. <laughs> My cat's name is Vanessa. I call her Dickhead because she's been eating my plants. <laughs> right, well, final count over 400 pets in the White House and only 45 presidents. Now, I can't pinpoint where or to whom he said it, but there's a quote attributed to Woodrow Wilson that I absolutely love. And I know you've talked about something similar to this quote earlier, but he said, if a dog will not come to you after having looked you in the face, you should go home and examine your conscience. So thought provoking, right? There, there have definitely been instances where we have had someone over and Duran's not the friendliest dog, but there sometimes He's so not a fan of someone that it makes me wonder, like, is there something we don't know? <laughs> because I trust him. I, I, you should. You should. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Because of that statement, because of you and I are both pet people. So we're going to talk about the three presidents who never had a pet. Do you want to guess who in, in sequential order, if you can? I have to guess that Donald Trump is not a pet person. Yes, but I said in sequential order. I can't think of anyone. I don't know. Who was that German president? Did we have a German president? We did. Van Buren. Oh, wait, was that Dutch? Uh, yes. Uh, no, it, I'm pretty sure it was Van something. All I know is he was German. <laughs> German, U.S. President. Doesn't that mean you can't be president if you're... I believe it was long enough back that it was okay. I can't be president because I wasn't born in this country. So you don't have to go searching for my birth certificate. Doesn't exist. (laughs) You don't have a birth certificate? Oh, Van Buren. Oh, he was Dutch. And I don't know if he was close enough. He was was Germanic. Close enough. Um, Well, I'll give you the first one. James K. Polk, the 11th president. Do you know what he's famous for? Probably not the polka. (laughs) Nope. 
definitely not. He's famous for another assholeish reason. He oversaw the largest territorial expansion in U.S. history, Manifest Destiny. The idea ah. that the U.S. should stretch from the Atlantic to the Pacific. His destiny didn't include any pets, so we don't like him. But we don't like him for yeah, a lot well, of reasons. We don't like him for many reasons. <laughs> I also have to say, so Van Buren was Dutch, but he was born in the U.S. Just Dutch family. Yeah, I, I figured when you said Van, that just, I always think of Van and Dutch. Van Helsing? Yeah. That too. <laughs> the, the most important of all the Vans. I guess Dick Van Dyke was okay. I actually don't know anything about him. If he's not okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that he is. I just know he exists. Okay. <laughs> don't cancel me. <laughs> All right. So James Polk, bad guy, didn't have pets and did other bad things. The second president is Andrew Johnson. He, I do remember him from history class and it really wasn't a glowing review from his presidency. No. He's the one who became president after Lincoln and just fucked up the... Uh, Dropped the ball a little bit. <laughs> he messed up the Reconstruction era after the Civil War. He also tangled with Congress, resulting in the first ever override of a presidential veto. I did not know that. He vetoed it, and they're like, no. Actually, you're wrong. <laughs> He's also the first president to undergo impeachment. <laughs> really? I, I really didn't know that much about him, except that he wasn't great. <laughs> I knew the first part. The, the other stuff I had to Google, and I got that yeah. from, yeah, all, the, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but he did escape the impeachment by literally one vote. They were probably like, well, this poor guy kind of got stuck with the presidency. He didn't run for it. Exactly. He didn't even get elected. He was the current VP when Lincoln was assassinated. But there is a quirky tidbit that I found is that he used to feed mice in the White House. That's a very soft-hearted thing to do. I mean that in a good way, like good soft-hearted, but that's kind of surprising. And you guessed the last one, Donald Trump. His presidency, ah. it's just too recent, so we're going we're gonna to move on. He sucked. That's my opinion. It's not the opinion of the God Pod, necessarily. <laughs> well, let's dive into the stress of being a president. We've all seen those newspaper photos, right? The before snap. A fresh-faced, hopeful, 55-year-old radiating youthful energy. Yes, that's the average age of a U.S. president on Inauguration Day. 55. I did the math. Not recently. And <laughs> <laughs> Biden just turned 81. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the 55, maybe you had like a bunch of 30-year-olds to, to offset. <laughs> I know we had Kennedy and Obama were both young. I don't think Ken, uh, Obama was as young as Kennedy. No, he wasn't, but he was, still, he was still young. He was in his 30s, I'm pretty sure. Obama? No way. I thought so. No, he was not. Was he in his 50s? I thought he was in his late 40s, early 50s. How old was Obama when he became president? He was 47. Wow, he looked good for his age. <laughs> he did not look 47. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't look like a walking corpse. <laughs> Again, our opinions, not the... Uh... <laughs> uh, well, you, know, you see the before shot, but then there's the after shot where you see the presidents, regardless of who it is, with more grain hair and wrinkles. Aging is normal. I'm not even 50 and I'm already spotting grays in my hair. No judgment there. But let's face it, the demands of a president is just a lot more stress-inducing than juggling all of my roles combined, being a data nerd, a professor, podcaster, nowhere near the weight of a president's responsibility. I would not want that job. I think wanting that job makes you a flawed individual to begin with. Touche. Being a president means making literal life-or-death decisions every day. The decisions they make impact millions of people. Every move of theirs is documented. I mean, just listen to all the articles I read about their pets. Yeah, seriously. Poor Taft. <laughs> Get this. There was an observational study with data from 1722 to 2015 utilizing 540 people across 17 countries. 
including the US, UK, Canada, and even Norway, because I'm going to find a way to include Norway in every episode until they hire me somewhere and I can move there. Well, (laughs) (laughs) of course, (laughs) this survey found that elected leaders like presidents or prime ministers tend to pass away an average 2.7 years earlier than their non-elected political counterparts, you know, the ones who lost. Um, And they have a 23% risk of dying prematurely compared, again, to those who lost. Except for the ones who were president at 80. (laughs) I was going to say, those who died prematurely, usually there's an assassination attempt or a successful assassination. (laughs) The study even concluded that the U.S. presidents fared the worst, living an average 5.7 years less than their loser president politicians, non-president politicians. I do need to know in this study whether they removed the ones who were assassinated, because that would obviously skew the data. No, no, they, they kept the assassinated. Okay, well, that's, I feel like that doesn't, I feel like that's cheating a little bit. I mean, obviously they live less long, they were murdered. But that's <laughs> the thing. Would they have been assassinated if they weren't president? I don't think that's the point, though. Like, we're talking about dying prematurely from, like, stress versus, like, murder. Well, I didn't say dying prematurely is prematurely. It doesn't matter what kills you. I feel like it's misleading. I I tend to see the other way because they would not have been assassinated if they weren't president. So therefore, that age needs to count. I don't disagree, but I think, well, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I think your opinion matters. And it's good to disagree. But anyway, (laughs) perceived stress alone is associated with higher mortality. In a a prospective Danish study, almost 120,000 people were followed. Prospective study is where they track individuals after they sign up for the study to track specific data points. So what they found kind of verified what's expected. Mortality rates went up as stress levels rose, no matter the participants' health conditions at the start. And while Reddit isn't my typical go-to research, I did find an opinion poll from two years ago that asked Redditors who they thought was the most stressed out president. Mm. The contenders were listed, LBJ, George W., John Adams, but the overwhelming vote went to Lincoln and FDR. The Redditor who nominated Lincoln mentioned that the secession crisis on day one, the assassination attempts personal tragedies, and the challenges faced by his wife. They oddly omitted the Civil War, which, in my opinion, would significantly add to Lincoln's stress levels. The poster nominating FDR cited his battle with polio, navigating the Great Depression, and leading the nation through World War II. FDR won by receiving 24 upvotes, while Lincoln received 15. I would like to nominate Truman for just the sheer stress of the decision to drop the atomic bombs. That's fair. Pets can help reduce stress. I'm a cat owner. You've got a bearded dragon, cat, dog, anything else I missed? Does a husband count? (laughs) Depending on a day. Just his dick in a jar? (laughs) (laughs) Only if it's being fed. (laughs) It is being fed. I'm a good pet owner. Oh, good, good. Oh, only the best corner notes. Only the best corner notes for my guy. <laughs> um, so we're both huge fan of pets, obviously. And the scientific community backs us up on this one. I'm not going to dive into all the details, but study after study after study, and, and these are all from peer-reviewed journals, mind you, confirm the incredible benefits of having pets. You can check the link on our website for more info. A 2023 study discovered that pet owners tend to be more physically active than non-pet owners. 2021 study proved that interacting with dogs can actually lower cortisol, heart rate, and blood pressure. A 2019 study linked dog ownership to decreased cardiovascular risk. Do you think it multiplies? Like if I get more dogs, am I going to get healthier? I got what? How many dogs... Do you need to collect in order to become immortal? Well, I think there comes to a point where too many dogs is going to make you more stressed. I don't believe that the number exists that there's too many. How can you afford to feed them all? That would stress me. I will make like Jesus and turn. I don't think split the loaves. I don't think your dogs want wine. 
<laughs> um, there'll be special, there'll be special dogs <laughs> leading to my immortality. We have crazy cat lady. We don't have a crazy dog lady. Well, I'm going to have to make that a thing. Would Lincoln count as a crazy cat guy person? I think a prerequisite for being a crazy, quote unquote, crazy cat lady is being unmarried. And, and a lady, that too. Well, I do know some crazy cat men <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, there, there are studies out there that said pets and mental health aren't linked. Those are obviously dog haters. <laughs> Can't be trusted. And, and there are also uh, articles that state there's no association between mental health and pets. But really, the nice. overwhelming studies show either a positive effect or no effect. Nothing that I found showed a negative effect. And one final study I want to mention, published in 2021, this study suggests that just the mere belief in a pet's positive mental health effect in itself can ease anxiety, stress, and depression. Totally. People self-reporting improved, uh, people self-reported improved mental health after petting a cat or a dog, but there was no mention in there on whether petting a bearded dragon affects your mortality rate. I guess it depends on how cranky the bearded dragon is, because they can be very sharp. <laughs> Decrease your mortality rate. <laughs> I have to just give a quick caveat back to our conversation about youngest presidents, because our producer pointed out that the youngest president ever to become U.S. president was Theodore Roosevelt, who was 42. I don't know why I was always thinking someone in their 30s. Maybe I was hoping optimistically. <laughs> Maybe someday. Oh, and Lucky is Reagan's dog, named after oh, his huh? mother-in-law, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Also, why is his mother-in-law named mean, Lucky? Even after my she'd honestly probably, she'd, she'd get a kick out of it. She'd buy it presents all the time. Why is it Lucky, though? I mean, I've never met a human named Lucky. Yeah, is her name Lucky or is that her nickname? What was her nickname? Okay. I, I'm going to have, that's definitely the one I will include in our future pet episode. Too long, didn't listen. In summary, pets good, politicians bad. I kid, I kid. Not really. In summary, there aren't many- Depends the politician and the pet. <laughs> in summary, there are many truly absurd stories about different pets roaming the White House grounds. Then you have presidents who showed their personality through the naming of their pets. Washington had Drunkard, while John Adams had Satan. Squirrels were once popular pets. Macaroni the Kennedy Pony did not have a feather in his hat. Eisenhower's dog peed on a $100,000 rug, while Ford's dog got him locked out of the White House at 3 a.m. And George Bush Sr. fat-shamed his dog, put him on a diet because he resembled a, quote, blimp. Which is a lie. And I shared the picture. That dog is a normal-sized dog. Isn't he the cutest? He's so cute. I love Spaniels. They're so cute. But find us online at O oh, the G-O-D-P-O-D, O oh, the God Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Threads. And if you got one of our stickers, don't forget to share a picture with the hashtag O oh, the God Pod Sticker Squad. That's all the history we've got for you today, folks, but fear not. We'll be back in two weeks with another mind-boggling story from the annals of history. If you had a chuckle or learned something new, or, or both, we hope, do us a solid and drop a review on your go-to podcast platform. Our podcast thrives on your love, like a squirrel on a stash of nuts. I lied. Sorry, that really was the last animal joke, I promise. <laughs> We're not mind readers, so shoot us an email. We're all eaters for your thoughts, jokes, and even conspiracy theories. Bring them on. This podcast runs on history, laughs, and your awesome feedbacks. Until next time, stay curious and stay tuned.